Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. Curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. Question me, Rose. Run for your life. Fatality. I'm Batman. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you happen to be located. Thank you for taking time out of your day to join us for Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. This is the final episode of our abridged 2016 US Summer Series, recorded at Gen Con, the best four days in gaming. Today's guest is James L. Sutter. James is a games designer, author, and musician, best known for co-creating the Pathfinder role-playing game, released by Paizo Inc. James is also currently the creative director for the Starfinder role playing system, which is due out very, very shortly. James was incredibly gracious enough to take some time out of the Gen Con madness to chat to us about his path to geekdom, his studies in journalism, how he got his start at Paizo, and some interesting anecdotes on dumpster diving. Paizo's presence at Gen Con is massive, and it's very much an all-hands-on-deck proposition when it comes to manning the Paizo stand, contributing to panels, etc. So we really want to extend a huge thank you to James for managing to finagle the time to join us. We really do appreciate it. We pass this over to the diva for her rating. Franku, what did the diva have to say? The diva has enjoyed this podcast and rates it pretty salty. Thank you very much to Franku and the diva for the rating, but for now, without any further ado, let's conclude our 2016 US summer swing and release the geek with James L. Sutter. And now we're releasing the geek. Yeah. Right. Do you like the rain? Uh, I do, actually. You do? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I like... The thing about Seattle that people don't realize is, A, it doesn't rain that... I mean, it, it rains a lot, but it's yeah. not, like, monsoon rain. Okay. Um, the other thing is that when it's gray and moody mm-hmm. all the time, I mean, A, that's great. <laughs> that's great environment for staying inside sure. and writing and reading. Yeah. But, um, but, B, it means that our summers... Are gorgeous. Oh we yeah, it's no, very green. It's, yeah, it's green. Yeah. It's you know totally clear. And also, mm. as soon as it hits sixty degrees in, yeah. in June, you know it's like a statewide holiday. Everybody's running outside in their <laughs> swimsuits, you know, because it's summer. And so we were we appreciate born? summer. Were you born in Seattle? Yes. Okay, so yeah, you're Seattle born and raised. Yeah, exactly. You know, right. I've, I've traveled around some, but I always come home. So. All right. What was your path to geekdom then? How did it start for you? Well, um, you know. I mean, I've always loved, you know, fantasy and whatnot from yeah. the time I could start reading. Uh, but for me, really, uh, my path to gaming especially mm-hmm. came in fifth grade when I had a teacher who, on our lunch breaks, taught All several right. of us how to, how to play old first edition Dungeons & Dragons. Nice. And so we played for a couple of months, and then after uh, that campaign ended, he said... You know, he didn't actually even give us the books. He just said, go make your own. And so we spent oh, the rest cool. of the school year inventing our own RPGs based on, you know, wow. all sorts of things. Like, you know, I remember we did one based on the, the Redwall, the old Brian Jacks yeah. books. Um, and so for me, like, RPGs, you know, the, the birth of that was really always about, this is about creating stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about writing your own. And so, you know, as much as I played, continued to play RPGs all the way up through college. Right. Um... I was still always trying to make my own stuff because okay. that was really where it was fun for me. And I always, I had always wanted to be a writer, and you know, mm-hmm. especially fantasy and science fiction. Did you take the DM role when you were playing? Sometimes, okay. yeah. I mean, I really went both ways, but uh, certainly, I mean, I invented a, hundreds of little, you know, 
role-playing games and adventures for, you know, my little brother or whoever was around, right? Sure. Um, but yeah, so I played RPGs up through, uh, up through high school and a little bit into college and okay. then uh, really kind of lost having time for them because I started playing in bands and playing music. Uh, of course, of course, being a rock star was definitely the, <laughs> the thing to spend my time that's, on. That's, that's what pulls, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, but then after, after college, when I was looking around for jobs, I'd been doing journalism for a while. I was going to ask, so what did you, you went into college? What yeah, did you yeah. Study? So I studied in college. I studied creative writing. Okay. Um, and while I was there, I started doing journalism, working for various, you know, this, the college newspaper and mm -hmm. various local newspapers. Sure. Um, and I had a blast because it was all gonzo journalism. You know, college journalism yeah. is all sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Gotcha. And that's exactly what uh, what it was. They would send me on these sort of adventures and yeah. then have me write about them. And so there was stuff like uh, I auditioned for Wheel of Fortune and wrote about that. I went backstage at a lesbian porn shoot and wrote, <laughs> and wrote about that and interviewed the people involved and whatnot. Um, you know, I, How did you get the invite there? Uh met a girl on MySpace, and she said, hey, you know, if you want to write about what this is this really is like... I, this is what yeah, I'm doing. Yeah, I, um, I placed a personal ad and, you know, went on a bunch of blind dates and right. wrote about that experience. You know, in the days right. before uh, OkCupid and those sure. dating sites. You know, like, so I was doing all these sort of adventurous things, right. know, adventurous for me, um, and writing about them, and I was like, oh, well, journalism is great. <laughs> um, and then I got out of college... And suddenly I'm writing, you know, for the local suburban newspapers, and uh -huh. it's like, well, here's the Little League scores, and here's, you oh. know, there's a new new entertainment center at the Not retirement home. a single home. lesbian porn scene. Yeah, nobody, nobody wanted those stories. <laughs> um, and so I was thinking, you know, I love writing, but I hate reporting. Right. I want to I write stuff that people are excited about. Sure. Um, and so I was looking around for a magazine to try and work for yep. as an editor, um, and I found that Dungeon and Dragon magazines, yeah. the old D&D magazines, yeah. were based out of Seattle. Okay. Um, and so, you know, I'm, and I'm 20 at this point. Sure. Uh, and so I go to them and I say, hey, you know, here's who I am. Here's what I've yeah. done. Uh, do you have anything for me? Mm -hmm. um, and they didn't have any editorial positions open at that time. But they right. said, well, you know, because I had just cold called the owner of the company, Lisa Stevens. Out of the blue. Yeah, out right. of the blue. And just said, you know, emailed and said, here's who I am. Here's what I've done. I mm -hmm. think what you do is awesome. What do you got? And uh, she brought me in for an interview, and That's at the cool. end of the interview said, you know, we don't have any editorial positions, uh -huh. but how about this? And so my first job at Paizo was finding images for the web store at a nickel a JPEG and just assembling, oh. <laughs> assembling that. But I said, you know what? It's this is my, it's my foot in the door. Um, so I did that, <laughs> and I worked my way up through being an intern and customer service. And no, no, let's not, let's not gloss all over this and just get from here to here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Finding images for the web store. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. She would give me a big list of, well, here's all the products that right. we're carrying on our web store. Um, but, you know, they don't send us the images of the products. Oh, right. So go, you know, here's the ISBNs. Uh -huh. Go find, you know, images that, wow. we, that we can use uh -huh. um, that are, you know, legal to be used. Sure. Uh, yeah. And put them on the web store. Very uh, cool. Okay. And so I did that, you know, for mm -hmm. that incredibly, incredibly low rate. <laughs> what was um, it? A nickel a photo? A nickel a photo. Jeez. Um, right. And of course, at the same time, I was also, you know, teaching uh, uh, teaching night classes uh, okay. to high school kids. Journalism? Or, um, no, actually, uh, like, uh, test prep classes. Oh, right. I was okay. tutoring 
to sort of make the ends meet. Um, and actually, that uh, that audition I did for Wheel of Fortune, yeah. um, I actually ended up on the show. Really? And even though I got my ass handed to me, <laughs> uh, I won enough in the various rounds that I still had a couple thousand dollars to oh, tide sweet. me over. And so that was my... I can afford to be an intern and, and you know, take this job because cool. I can live on that. Um, nice. But I mean, it was, to be clear, in the early days, I was living very cheap. I was yeah. living in a house with, you know, seven to ten roommates and we were e all, eating out of dumpsters. This is like, Seattle grunge period anyway, so... No, no, this no, was, a, this was after, after that. Okay, yeah, right? I'm, a, I'm a little too young for, uh, sure. for grunge. This gotcha. was... This was after it was fashionable to be post-grunge, right? But I, I definitely, you know, we had after, after it was fashionable. <laughs> but uh, no, and actually, you know, I I joke about it, but um, actually, like me and my friends uh, did dumpster quite a bit, and they right. did they did a lot more than I did. Okay, um, just because they're very very urban hippies kind sure. of thing. Um, mm -hmm. And it turns out there's a lot of stuff that goes to waste in the city. So it was right. kind of almost a uh, mm -hmm. ideological thing as well to gotcha. go, you know, to the mm. uh, to the dumpsters. And and mm -hmm. I want to tell people the thing that converted, you know, because I had several friends that were into it. Yep. And one of my roommates was saying, "I don't understand how you can how you can eat out of dumpsters. That's disgusting. Like, what mm -hmm. would you? What are you doing?" Yeah. Um, and then one day in January, the power goes out. All and right. one of my roommates... So this is winter in Seattle. Yeah, okay. yeah, winter in yeah. Seattle. And one of my roommates, you know, jumps up, you know, the one who was best at dumpstering, jumps uh -huh. up and goes, Oh man, power's out! And he, like, he runs out the door and gets on his bike and tears off. You go, what was that about? Oh, they've got and, to throw out all the food. Well, so he comes back, oh. uh, like, a few hours later. He's got, like, 30 gallons of still-frozen ice cream because he <laughs> knew that the grocery stores have a rule that if the power's out for more than half an hour or whatever, they have to throw no away shit. all the frozen food. But it was below freezing outside, right. so nothing had thawed. It was all perfectly good. So That's we had insane. We had freezers full of ice cream, and then even the curmudgeon <laughs> roommate went, Okay, that's oh, no, no, pretty no. cool. You don't, you don't get to have any yeah, of this because you've got a moral objection. Exactly, but yeah. no. Um, so I, uh, you know, I was never the the best of them, but uh, my my roommates definitely knew how to how to scrimp and save gotcha. like that. Um, wow. And actually, I've always, uh, you know, I say back in the day, I lived with a bunch of roommates, but yeah. I still do. I've okay. always loved living in communal housing like, yeah. mm -hmm. um, and ha building sort of intentional communities. So cool. even when my wife and I got married, you know, we both lived mm -hmm. in big group houses and everybody mm -hmm. said, well, now that you're married, aren't you going to go mm -hmm. get a place? And we said, why? why? So instead we just merged our group houses That's and now cool. we live with a bunch of people. So, well, there's... You occasionally look at... <laughs> tech fault. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you occasionally look at, like, the cost of a, um, of a massive place. Yeah. And you just think, you know what, if I had five francs... Oh yeah, we could all live in this amazing place, and it'll be cheaper than what we would yeah. normally pay. I mean, my my number one tip for you know writers and artists starting uh -huh. out is, if you can live with roommates, do, do live it. with roommates. <laughs> it makes it a lot easier to get by on creative uh, wages. This is an audio podcast. So what you just missed out was James giving the whole swing and thumbs up. Yeah, which, yeah, exactly. Which was awesome. You definitely need to. Was. Was Paizo, was Paizo the publisher of the Dungeons & Dragons magazine back then? Yeah, time? they were. So okay. basically, Paizo spun off of Wizards of the Coast yeah. um, and did the magazines under mm -hmm. license. Okay. So they were a separate company, but we were doing these magazines that were still owned by Wizards of the right. Coast. Okay. Um, and so I worked my way up, like I said, until mm -hmm. I was uh, an editor on Dungeon Magazine. Yeah. Um, and then, after a few years, uh, Wizards pulled the license back in-house. Sure. And we looked around and said, well... 
what are we going to do? Like, right. what we know how to do is Dungeons & Dragons-style magazines, yeah. and now we don't have that. Um, and so that's why we created Pathfinder Adventure Path. Which Seriously? Is, yeah, exactly. That's, that's the origin story. Y- yeah, I mean, we Jeez, needed to wow. pay rent, and so, <laughs> like, you know, they, it was one of those things where uh-huh. when they told us, we all looked around, and I know I said, like, well, guess I'm going back to grad school, <laughs> you know? But, uh... But no, they, um, you know, we had to figure out what to do, and we said, well, we're really uh-huh. good at making adventures, yeah. and we're really good at making linked adventures, so let's uh-huh. make Pathfinder Adventure Path, and it'll have all, a lot of the, honestly, the best things we loved about Dungeon & Dragon. Uh-huh. We'll take all that knowledge and make our own thing. And we did, and to our, you know, delighted astonishment, a huge portion of our audience uh-huh. uh, said, well, we liked what you did with Dungeon & Dragon, so we'll give it a try. And okay. Pathfinder, you know, the Adventure Path was born... And then we did wow. that. We did that for a year or two, um, mm-hmm. and we're building our own world and our own campaign setting and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and then the edition change hit, and mm-hmm. you know, fourth edition came out. Mm-hmm. And uh, among other things, um, you know, people have their own opinions on like you know, three point five versus four point as a game system. But sure. one of the big things was three point five was open source essentially. Anybody yeah. could publish based on it. Four mm-hmm. was not, and so we had to decide. Um, you know, are we going to go with the new edition, which mm-hmm. at the time everybody thought was the obvious choice, right? right. Because D&D is the 800-pound gorilla. Um, <laughs> or do we try and keep publishing stuff for 3.5? Because mm-hmm. um, one of the rules was if you publish for 4.0, you can never again publish 3.5 stuff. Really? Yeah. Okay. So we really had to make the call. Uh-huh. And we said we just, you know, we've got this thing going. We don't feel safe risking it all in this other direction. Right. And so we... You know, raised our little rebel flag and said, okay, well, we're going to keep doing 3.5 stuff, mm-hmm. but the 3.5 books aren't being published anymore. Okay. So let's take, you know, rather than, you know, continuing to publish supplements for a game that no longer exists, sure. let's take the 3.5 rules, make the changes we've always wanted to see anyway, right. and we'll call that Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. And that's where the Pathfinder role-playing game came from. And again, to our delight and astonishment, mm-hmm. it got huge. Um, and we went kind of overnight from being a subsidiary of mm-hmm. Wizards of the Coast to being their biggest competitor. And then, you know, for for the last several years, it's been really neck and neck in terms of which of us is the best-selling right. RPG company in the world. It's not, and it tends to be from a from an outside viewpoint. Well, you guys are competitors. Sometimes when you step behind the scenes, it's not really that case. You guys know each other. Yeah, phone yeah. Calls. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing is what people don't realize is actually a lot of the major tabletop RPG companies yeah. are all based out of Seattle. Mm-hmm. So we're there, Wizards there, Green Ronin, Privateer, yep. Kobold. Um, and so we all know each other. We uh-huh. all, you know, we've all worked together at various points. Yep. We've all written for each other's companies yeah. and, you know, in some cases play in each other's community. games. Yeah. Right, yeah. So... Mm-hmm. I think it's, uh, you know, people think of it as, like, enemies, mm-hmm. and it's much more like sports teams, right? right? Like, if you're the quarterback from Team A and the quarterback from Team B, mm-hmm. like, you may officially be rivals, but realistically, you have a ton in common, and mm-hmm. you probably know each other, and you may get traded anyway, so right. you may end up, mm-hmm. uh, you know, working Teammates together. Any, at, at yeah, so future. it's actually a really... Mm-hmm sort of fun, chill atmosphere, which okay. is why Gen Con is so much fun, because yeah. this is the time when we all get to go hang out with all of our friends from all the other mm-hmm. companies. This is, Gen Con is, it's ridiculously fun yeah. in that regard, because everybody's just here for for this amazing time. When, you, you said that you did, 
even going back to when you were a kid, that you were you would write campaigns, you would write and design systems, and now yeah. you're working with Paizo and Paizo's now. Well, we have to design this new system. So Starfinder, yeah. yeah. How much of a role did you play in that? In designing Starfinder? Yes. Well, so I'm the creative director on Starfinder, mm-hmm. which means that you know I'm, I'm not you know the guy doing all of it, mm-hmm. I, but I'm the guy steering the boat. Sure. Um, and so really, everybody at Paizo is having a hand in this. Uh, right. You know. Sort of what we talk of as the core Starfinder team is mm-hmm. me and then developers Rob McCreary and mm-hmm. Owen Stevens are sort of the guys yeah. who are focused on it full time. Sure. But we've also got, you know, Jason Bullman and the rest of the design staff are really okay. helping, you know, set a lot of the rules and the math sure. and the developers and the editors are all contributing, uh, you know, to build the world and whatnot. Right. Um, and so it's really an all hands on deck thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I'm... I'm at the forefront, and I mean, of course, uh, Eric Mona, the publisher, is the one who set the ball in motion. Sure. But uh, I'm the I'm the field commander, as gotcha. it were. Um, what about your writing, love? What what projects are you working on? Well, what, what have you done? Well, uh, so um, you know, mm-hmm. in addition to one of the reasons why I uh, I got the Starfinder mm-hmm. creative directorship is that a few years ago I wrote a book called Distant Worlds mm-hmm. that was for Pathfinder and outlined the solar system for. Right. Pathfinder, so sort of a Pathfinder in Space book mm-hmm. uh, that proved to be extremely popular and mm-hmm. was one of the things that said maybe we can actually make Starfinder go. Right. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I mean, I write tons of Pathfinder supplements, but also uh, I've written two Pathfinder novels, mm-hmm. uh, Death's Heretic and The Redemption Engine. And I'm really excited about those because they're about, they both star an atheist in a world where gods are objectively real. And I find that to be a fascinating uh, thing That's to a- explore. Where did, where did the impetus for that come from? Well, actually, um, so I remember distinctly uh, walking into a room where some of my roommates were watching Blade Runner. Right. And I had this idea of, like, what if you matched up Blade Runner with Dante's Inferno and had this sort of, <laughs> right. you know, investigator who's working mm-hmm. throughout the planes, um, kind of mm-hmm. almost like a Hellraiser sort of character. Mm-hmm. But I'd also always been fascinated by the concept of how does atheism work in fantasy? Because we have yeah. an atheist nation mm-hmm. in the Pathfinder setting. Yes. Um, and we, you know, really my explanation was it's not that those atheists don't believe in gods because gods mm-hmm. are objectively real. You can go up to a cleric walking down the yes. street and say, is God real? And they'll say, well, let's ask him. Well, I pray. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, Just and, give me 10 seconds to set out the components. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so for me, uh, mm-hmm. my way of understanding that was, mm-hmm. okay, they don't, don't reject the idea that the gods exist. Mm -hmm. They reject the idea of worship. They reject the idea of giving over sort of your soul and your sovereignty Mm -hmm. to a god in exchange for power. So they're really very, um, Mm. almost like libertarian or something, you know, uh, you know, they're very, uh, independent. Yes. And so they, you know, his, a line that my character would say would be something Mm -hmm. like, you know, gods are very powerful. Mm-hmm. But kings and emperors are powerful too, and you don't worship them. You don't right. give them your soul forever. Yes. Um, and so uh, I thought it would be really fascinating to have this character, mm-hmm. and then have him make some bad decisions so that he ends up working for the goddess of death. Right. Um, and so he ends up sort of in this self-hating role as an investigator tracking down souls that have gone missing. Right. Um, and then so uh, that's the you know really the core of the first book and then there's a sequel uh, The Redemption Engine mm-hmm. in which uh, he's investigating a bunch of souls that have actually gone missing that were supposed to go to hell right. um, and the devils are like hey you need to track these down and fi- these guys are escaping their just reward uh, mm. and that one I find really the 
I always write with some sort of philosophical mm-hmm. quandary in there because I feel like that's what science fiction and fantasy does best. Yes. Let us let us explore these sort of weird metaphysical uh-huh. ideas. And so in this case, that book is all about what is the role of consent in good mm-hmm. versus evil in morality? Like if I if I had a magic wand that could turn an evil person good against their will, yes, should I use it? Mm-hmm. Is that is that a boon? To, it's certainly a boon to society, but mm-hmm. is it moral? Um, you're essentially removing right. somebody's agency, mm-hmm. um, and so you know qu- questions like that. And mm-hmm. also, you know, if you're an angel or a devil, if you're born good and born evil. Well, you didn't have any choice. Can you actually be good right. without having made a choice? Right. Um, and so I find those issues fascinating. I'll have alignment arguments all day long. Oh yeah, we just had a we just had an interview with uh, uh, with Maxwell Alexander Drake. Yeah, yeah. And he's very big on the moral quandary. The exactly what you're talking about. Listeners to the podcast will know. I am a massive fan of the moral quandary arguments. I yeah, love yeah. Would you, some one question that just came up with Drake, would you, the, the Hitler as a baby scenario, what would be your position? Would you take him out knowing what was going to happen? Interesting. So, so my only <laughs> choice is to make him not exist. No, you or, can either kill him. Yeah. Well, actually, it's interesting you I bring that up. I can't reform him. Have to, yeah. Well, see, that was something that came up with the interview that yeah. if you went to his art school and said, hey, no, stick with it. Keep going with that artwork. Don't listen to your dad. He's a jerk. Yeah, Your yeah, yeah. Good. Is that the angle that you would have then taken? Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I absolutely believe that people can be reformed and changed mm-hmm. and that, you know, I think mm-hmm. there may... I'm not sure whether there's objective evil, like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like from, from birth, right. but I certainly think that most, if not all... Mm-hmm. evil acts that happen in the world mm-hmm. are the result of somebody being hurt or damaged in some way sure. that could have been prevented. Right. Um, you know, I guess I'm very... I don't know if that's a humanist role or what, but like, mm-hmm. but I think that it's very important, actually, sure. to you know, support and, and reform rather than just punish. Right. Um, but like I said, we're very hippies uh, here <laughs> in Seattle. Like, um, Did you have a, uh, um, a religious exposure growing up? No, actually, which is one of the reasons why I'm so fascinated by religion. Yeah, okay. um, yeah I wasn't raised uh, atheist. I wasn't raised in the church. Um, mm-hmm. So I've always called myself a uh, hands-in-the-air agnostic, and that gotcha. I just throw my hands up and go, I don't know. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not saying mm-hmm. anything does or doesn't exist. Sure. But I kind of don't worry about it because I figure, you know, the question of what happens to us after we die... Mm-hmm is literally the only question you're guaranteed to get an answer to, right? <laughs> Pretty much. Everybody's going to yeah. find out, so yeah. I'm not in a rush. But, uh, but I, I feel like, um, you know, I find religious traditions so fascinating, and the mm-hmm. mythology, especially, like, Judeo-Christian mythology, yeah. angels and devils, I eat that up. I love reading about different mm-hmm. visions of hell and yeah. heaven, um, and the idea of, like, you know, often if you read my stuff, like, mm-hmm. angels often come across as a little bit creepy, right? Because they have no free will. They're right. just, you know, these... Servitors, these, effectively. Yeah, servitors. You yeah. know, they're almost like limbs. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's a... Limbs, that's... I know, I know terrifying right? terrifying Yeah, like, there's... So, I love I love creepy art uh-huh. of angels and demons. Um, yeah. But I also love, you know, all sorts of different cultures have mm-hmm. these fascinating mythologies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, sometimes it's hard because people, you know, especially if the religion is living, yeah. people often don't like to think of 
their religion is mythology. Yep. You know, you say, oh, I'm into mythology, and they assume you mean mm -hmm. ancient Greek because right. nobody's into that anymore. Yeah. But, I mean... There are plenty of mythologies. Yeah, there. yeah. And so I'm, mm -hmm. I'm fascinated by people's approach to religion right. and the way they think. Now, I, I will admit that I really... Um, I have no problem with spirituality. I certainly mm -hmm. have a lot of problems with authority, I guess, if it's used to you know, right. harm others. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, some of that comes across in my work, I think, mm -hmm. you know, the questions of, I'm always the one sort of questioning everything. Yeah. But questioning isn't the same as isn't, tearing it down. Is right? it more in relation to the dogmatic aspect rather yeah, than Yeah, exactly. Like, my, okay. my personal approach to religion has always mm -hmm. been, like, if there's a, a creator who can give divine revelations and is totally omnipotent, yeah. why doesn't he talk to me directly? Why does he have to go through you yeah. and then you tell me? And why that, do you need to interpret? Yeah, mm -hmm. that seems to me always mm -hmm. just too prone to corruption, sure. right? Um, uh, even if everybody has the best of intentions, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, but at the same time, like that's very different from saying I reject you know, spirituality altogether. Sure. Uh, so these are the themes that I like playing with in, mm -hmm. uh, in my books because, you know, I've got this atheist character, yeah. but he's really, you know, everybody else in the world is like, you're an idiot. Did you notice, mm -hmm. like, hey, look, I broke my arm. Bing! God mm -hmm. just fixed it. Yeah. Why are you not How getting in on this? How can you deny this proof? Yeah. yeah, especially when some of the gods are objectively, like, good folks. It's not, mm -hmm. you know, uh, from most people's perspective, why would you not do this? Yeah. Uh, and so some of my favorite conversations are the arguments he has because I don't necessarily think that he's right. You know, um, and so I've had fans mm -hmm. that are both atheists say, yes. oh, I'm so glad to see atheists in fantasy. Um, uh -huh. You really spoke for me. And I've had fans that are deeply religious. You know, I had one who was a minister, you know, say, oh, I really loved your work because I feel like it really, you know, proved, proved wow. some of my points, right? Um, right? So I went, okay, now I'm... I'm doing something right if both <laughs> sides feel like there's something for Actually, them here. No, you're doing something wrong, James. People need to be at each other's throats. You need to be causing division oh and hatred. God. Come on. you got to pick one side. James. Yeah. Well, you know, actually, that's that's funny because that's um, something I deeply believe in uh, mm -hmm. is the idea causing of... Causing division. Yes. Excellent. No, no. Nice. Move yeah, on. No, but building community. And I actually think yeah. I was just talking about this the other day with um, mm -hmm. my friend Shannon Germain, who's mm -hmm. over at Monty Cook Games, right. um, and talking about how... Uh, you know, the internet has the potential to really divide us. Yeah. Um, and how we both really want to see more ways to bring people together. You sure. know, I, I'm, you know, in terms of my social values, I am flamingly liberal. You know, I'm really supportive of, mm. you know, all these, you know, all these different human rights issues, trying to get uh, just everybody treated sure. with respect. Yes. Um, but at the same time, it drives me nuts when I see... Uh, you know, the people who I believe are right, mm -hmm. you know, uh, who are fighting the good fight, but they're fighting so viciously and mm -hmm. using such nasty tactics mm -hmm. that it's alienating, you know, everybody who's in the middle that could yeah. be brought over. And so I think that for me, the whole, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem is a mindset that makes sure that nobody who doesn't already believe what you believe ever gets converted. That's, and I'm, that's very interesting. I yeah. fear that. Because mm -hmm. what I want is to, like, bring people together sure. and cause, you know, positive change. Mm -hmm. um, and, man, this got far afield from our game. <laughs> but, like, but I, you know, I do have some deep beliefs around, uh, you know, things like mm -hmm. building intentional community. Or, uh, I mean, one thing Paizo is, you know, sometimes noted mm -hmm. for uh, 
is you know trying to bring diversity into our artwork into our right. game you know having minority characters mm-hmm. you know characters of various races you know uh, mm-hmm. you know genders uh, mm-hmm. sexualities um, and that's because there's a lot of us at the company who really deeply believe in that that representation is there also that geek culture if you take the the stereotypical geek culture ideas tropes etc that we were kind of picked on and we were the excluded ones is there a greater acceptance of non-tradition amongst geek cultures you know I actually think it goes both ways okay I think it really polarizes because I think some people having been outcasts mm-hmm. you know uh, for being geeks right are really accepting of you know various you know you know the Let's say polyamory or whatever. Sure. You know, various mm-hmm. yep. various alternative lifestyles. Mm-hmm. To some extent, they're really accepting of that. Mm-hmm. But then the other end is the people who, having be- felt like outcasts, felt like they found their tribe within within gaming, right? And then are very eager to exclude others to feel that same power. Like they mm-hmm. they define their in group by who's out, and that's why you get sure. all this stuff about you know, quote-unquote, fake geek girls, and, you know, everyone's right, saying, oh, yeah. you're not you're not a real no, true, geek. Yeah, right, you yeah. got to prove yourself. Yeah, which is, mm-hmm. um, can I swear on this podcast? Fuck yeah. Yeah, it's bullshit. Nice. Right? Like, yeah, um, it's total and utter crap. Yeah. And I think that it comes from that place of finally belonging and defining mm-hmm. yourself and then wanting to reinforce that right. by shoving other people out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's terrible. I think mm-hmm. that we need to be an inclusive space and that we'll all be happier, frankly, yeah. if we are that inclusive space and we just mm-hmm. need people to get over it. I guess it's the... It can reiterate to your point of if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. No, no, no. There's, there is a middle ground here. Is, it's not yeah. always binary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you know, live and let live. And, like, mm-hmm. I I should emphasize that, like, I, I totally understand when people are, you know, raging online. Mm-hmm. You know, especially, you know, folks who are raging over having been, having been hurt, having been treated poorly. You know, yeah. these are, there's really good reasons to be angry. Mm-hmm. And I totally get that. Mm-hmm. But the people that I'm most impressed by are the people who have all those reasons to be angry mm-hmm. and who still manage to reach essentially across the aisle, whether it's right. politically, whether it's in mm-hmm. gaming, whatever, and say, mm-hmm. like, rather than just flaming you and treating you, you know, like a mm-hmm. troll, let's actually talk. Um, because I think yeah. people, to a certain extent, you know, most people are, are I don't want to say... Savable, but most people are swayable, and most people like mm-hmm. if you if you really sit down and examine why they're doing what they're doing, mm-hmm. I feel like you can usually find common ground there somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. I, I was thinking just the other day, it weirds me out that like you know, as a as a liberal person, I can I can you know, I've got friends that might believe that you know you can absolutely reform a murderer, you know, somebody who is who has been a career criminal, you can mm-hmm. reform them and turn them into a good person. But then they'll turn right around and say, oh, well, you said something I don't like on the internet, so you're dead to me forever. <laughs> like, that's... That disconnect yeah. is just blowing my mind. Uh-huh. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I just... I would love for everybody to treat each other with a little more mm-hmm. empathy mm-hmm. in this industry and in the world in general. Mm-hmm. And, wow, this soapbox has gotten really high. <laughs> let's right, talk let's, about fantasy. Let's talk about... <laughs> well, let me start, let's talk about fantasy. Let's talk about Paizo. Let's talk about Pathfinder. The uh, one of the things I made a point of this year while I've been here is that last night I made sure I walked through that whole 
upstairs at close the to Sagamore? midnight. Yeah. Yeah. At close to midnight to film and prove to people. It's a South African podcast. We have listeners from overseas as well. But to prove that when it comes to Gen Con, Gen Con is 24-hour gaming. The yeah. trade floor may have stopped at 6, but people will grab carpet, grab a table, mm-hmm. grab wherever, and play. Yeah. So I took a shot of walking through last night and seeing all of these people playing. The community that Paizo has developed from Pathfinder, it's got to be something that they, they find really special. And yeah, really appreciate. yeah. I mean, when you go into, so the Sagamore Ballroom, which is where our Pathfinder Society organized Mm -hmm. play takes place, you know, Mm -hmm. we've got hundreds of tables in there Mm -hmm. running Pathfinder around the clock the Mm -hmm. whole show, and it's fascinating to walk through there and see thousands of people Mm -hmm. playing together this game that we created. It's really humbling. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's even some special events we do uh, in the various evenings where Mm -hmm. all the tables are not playing separate games, but they're all playing the same giant cooperative game. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really fun to see. The the idea of... uh, The first first time I had a... I uh, played a game that had a natural progression in the world was L5R. Oh, yeah, yeah. Five Rings. And I love the fact that in that card game, the cards that were being used affected the storyline of the characters as these things progressed. Sure. That's that's an amazing thing from a cooperative standpoint. Yeah, yeah. The logistics to coordinate that on a worldwide basis, though, that's got to be massive. Fortunately, I don't have to do any of that <laughs> stuff. That's a uh, so our organized play team yeah. um, is led by. Uh, Tanya and John and mm-hmm. Linda, right. um, and they really are the people who coordinate everything, uh-huh. um, and they work around the clock to yep. you know get the adventures made, put together to coordinate all these local instances yes. of gaming across the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the the goal really being that like wherever you live, you can walk into your local game store mm-hmm. and they'll be able to tell you, oh, mm-hmm. here's your nearest Pathfinder game where you can just sit down and play. You don't have mm-hmm. to build your own group. You can just find somebody mm-hmm. who's willing to help bring you in. Right. Um, which I think is hugely cool. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the idea of, oh, you move to a new city, you can find some new gamers to play with. You know, and you still know exactly what's going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's mm-hmm. I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they they handle all of that, and it's mm-hmm. a it's about seven full time jobs for three people. Mm-hmm. So. Right. When it comes to when it comes to Starfinder, yeah. What uh, I mean, you'll be going very similar in a globalized well, in an ongoing campaign. Yeah, yeah. Cooperative. Have you got Have you got a map? An initial map of what, because obviously how people of where we're gonna of go where you're going, because obviously setting. how yeah how how people react in it, what that's going to help direct the story. Well, how far in advance would you have to plan? Farther than we have so far. <laughs> uh, I should emphasize. <laughs> It's true, it's true. Do we have to put a disclaimer down that yeah, these, no. these views are not representative of no, Paizo? No, no, so far, I mean, I think I think even Eric would admit that. Um, this is still, it's still early days yet. Um, you know, we've just, we've just announced the game. We're still figuring mm-hmm. out, you know, basic mechanics okay. and stuff. You know, we've right. got, we've got a lot of the stuff figured out. We've got a lot of the, the broad strokes of the world outlined, mm-hmm. but, you know, these are some big books and we're yep. still just getting them started. Right. So, okay. uh, you know, the idea... What we do with organized play, how the mm-hmm. setting will develop, you know, mm-hmm. these are questions that we're totally thinking about. Sure. But it'll be months yet before we can answer. Right. Okay. All right. Uh, do you have from a write from a personal writing yeah. aspect? 
have you got anything of like particular ideas, stuff that you'd like to do in this setting from, well, a, I mean, from a novel aspect? Honestly, a lot of what I'm doing right now just in building the world is the stuff yeah. that I really like to do. Like I'm yeah. getting to revisit all these planets that I created in distant worlds sure. and, you know, advance them thousands of years into the future mm -hmm. and really play with them and say, okay, which organizations have grown and changed and how, you know, this whole thing is kind of a, a labor of mm -hmm. love in that regard. How many of your friends hate you for having such a cool job? You know, uh, <laughs> I think my close friend, I think probably a lot of people in this hall yeah. hate me for having such a cool job. Uh, I actually think that most of my close friends, honestly, uh, just understand. Envy. Well, no, no, actually, mm -hmm. I think that they understand that as cool as a job mm -hmm. as this is, like, it'll kick your ass, right? <laughs> right. Like, it's, um, it, we got some hard mm -hmm. deadlines, we're always working super hard, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I think sometimes people come to the office expecting Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory and are shocked to see just a bunch of people in, in cubicles desperately typing. Like in a strip mall that's... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not, uh -huh. there's, it's not that, um, that crazy, right? right. Um, it's just people working really hard on something they're passionate about. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's tough to get this stuff put right. together. Um, mm -hmm. So I think, uh, I, think, I think my friends are pretty... Mm -hmm. Pretty happy to let me <laughs> let me do it, <laughs> right. uh, but um, but it is it's a great mm -hmm. job. Like yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, even when we, even we have meetings where everybody's you know like at each other's throats, mm -hmm. it's over dragons, right? Like you know we're <laughs> and and we can always step back and go, yep. you know mm -hmm. this is pretty sweet. Sure, um, mm -hmm. and it's been super fun. And you know I so I also, you know, in addition to all the Paizo stuff I do, I mm -hmm. also do. Stuff like, uh, you know, I'm writing comics now with the yeah. Pathfinder comics. Mm -hmm. um, I do create our own short stories, and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I've got a new novel that I'm shopping around. Like, there's... Uh, with the, so, let's talk create our own. Yeah. The, when you're talking IDW, when you're talking Pizer Publishing, when you're talking, like, Dark Horse, there's... Yeah. Uh, would you say a, a surge in creator own, or has this Grand Swell been building for a while? Uh, in comics, I mean, mm. I think I think certainly in comics, um, Image is really yeah. kicking everybody's mm -hmm. ass how, right how now. How did I yeah. miss Image? Well, they're they're right. the big ones, right? Yeah. They're the creator-owned yeah. uh, company, mm -hmm. um, and I feel like for me, uh, I've. I don't think there's ever been a better time to be into comic books right. than right now. Um, I love Image books, mm -hmm. uh, and so. You know, I'm, I'm very excited about that. Um, I haven't done any creator-owned comic stuff yet. I sure mm -hmm. would like to. I'm mm -hmm. working on it. But uh, um, I think we know some artists that might be able to help it out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, clean. Maybe, clean. maybe. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think, um, and certainly within the science fiction fantasy world, I mean, mm -hmm. creator-owned actually kind of dominates, right? Yeah. Like, every all the, what you think of as science fiction and fantasy books mm -hmm. are mostly creator-owned unless they're t attached to a property like Pathfinder yep. or Halo or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there's there's some benefits and challenges to each, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've loved writing novels for mm -hmm. Pathfinder yep. and editing that line mm -hmm. um, because, you know, it comes with a built-in audience and you get to go through this amazing setting created yeah. by a bunch of amazingly talented people mm -hmm. and sort of cherry-pick your, your best parts and weave them together yeah um at the same time you know there's also the drive to go do create own stuff where you can mm -hmm. control everything and you can mm -hmm. there's nobody saying well actually this doesn't fit with our our plan right, right. um mm -hmm. you know and fortunately i have i've had kind of the best of the both both worlds and that the shared world that i've been writing in mm -hmm. is one that i helped create to a large extent and so 
I I find it much easier yeah. to write in that world, but it's still you, it's still a negotiation mm-hmm. uh, rather than doing totally your own thing. How are you handling then writing writing for Pathfinder comics? Creative head for Starfinder. Do you sleep? And uh, not as well as I'd like to. Um, no, um, you know, it's really for me just about you gotta you gotta make some sacrifices sure. if you want to find the time to okay. write. And I don't think mm-hmm. the difference between I think me and what a lot of authors will tell you is mm-hmm. you gotta make some sacrifices if you want to do it. That doesn't mean that you should. Um, you know, I think I think ah. you should always be evaluating what it is you want out of things right. and. Uh, ask yourself if it's worth it, right? Like, so I definitely, you know, things that I do in order to find writing time is Mm -hmm. uh, I watch, you know, like two hours of TV a week and that's it. Okay. Right, you know, I, you know, uh, I don't have children, right? You know, like that's, children take a lot of time. They tend to be a time drain. Yeah, yeah, and these are, these are choices that don't, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, everybody's are different, right? And some people manage to just, you know, not sleep or Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, but I think that you should always be asking yourself whether the reward is worth what you're sacrificing. Because I, I know for me, a big revelation I had when I finished my second novel mm-hmm. uh, was I sat back and went, you know, I'm going to die someday. And when I do, it's not going to matter, matter whether I have two novels out or 200 books, mm-hmm. because I'll be dead. So, on my, you know, they say, you know, on yeah. your deathbed, nobody wishes they'd worked more. Some people right. probably do wish that they'd written more novels. But for mm-hmm. me, it's like the things that bring me the most joy and satisfaction is, mm-hmm. you know, the, the effects I can make in the lives of my friends, you know, right. the adventures we can have, um, spending mm-hmm. time with my, you know, my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that really helped me gain some perspective and say, you know, I like writing and yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to certainly, you know, but bust my ass Mm -hmm. in order to write and get stuff done but at the same time Mm -hmm. it's not the only thing I want in my life and I think that sometimes creators feel like if they're not devoting 100% of themselves to their craft they're not advancing as fast as they could and while that's true I think you should always look at what your trade off is you know and so once I had that realization Mm -hmm. I found that I was able to lose a lot of the guilt that I felt whenever I wasn't writing and so I was still you know, even once I relaxed, mm-hmm. I was still writing maybe even as much as like 75%, 90% as much as I was before, mm-hmm. but I no longer felt bad when I wasn't writing. I could say, you know, it's important for me to go to this party. It's important for mm-hmm. me to go take a walk with my wife, you yeah. know, like, and I think that was, that idea of balance is something that I think is really important and that mm-hmm. rarely gets stressed to, to new writers. Right. I, yeah, I think that's... Because there's always the pressure of, well, you've got to do these things. You've got to put in the hours yeah, to yeah. make sure you get there. Which is true. It's not necessarily a sign of success or something that's going to be healthy for you. Yeah. It's one of the reasons mm-hmm. why, you know, people often wonder why so many successful authors and artists and musicians mm-hmm. are unhappy. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, well, you've got all the success. Yeah. But if all you've got is that success, yeah. maybe, mm-hmm. maybe that's not enough for you, right? Okay. So really evaluating what you care about, I think, is mm-hmm. a huge part of being a a healthy creative mm-hmm. um, and that said I also you know I I try to write a lot right sure. you know um, it also helps that you've got 
the the job that you have allows for a lot of creative. Well, creative it, room. It, it helps and it hurts, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because when your day job is being creative, yeah, it means that you know Paizo uh, will absorb all of my creativity like a sponge and leave me a wrung kind of wrung out little husk by the time I get home for dinner. Um, <laughs> so I, I write in the mornings, right? Um, you know, before oh, work okay. because I say, okay, I'll. I'll give an hour of writing to myself, mm-hmm. and then Paizo can have everything else that's in me, and then sure. I'll go home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that works really well for me. Right. Um, but at the same time, of course, Paizo, being able to be creative all day, mm-hmm. has allowed me to have all these great connections in the industry, sure. and has taught me so much about writing and editing mm-hmm. and world building. You know, I often say the first couple years at Paizo, I spent just learning what was cool. Right. You know, uh, like learning from the other people I worked with, uh-huh. what they thought about science fiction and fantasy. Right. So, mm-hmm. when uh, I'm thinking about the the comic aspect, uh, I've been to Comic Con, the San Diego Comic Con, the last few years, and it's easy to miss things in the chaos that yeah. is there. Um, is Paizo, does Paizo have a, uh, the, the comics aspect? Does they have a presence there? I think we we have sometimes. You know, uh-huh. we, so our comics are through Dynamite. Right. Um, so be Dynamite Publishing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So actually, when I write uh-huh. uh, Pathfinder comics, yeah. or when Wes and Eric do, um, mm-hmm. we are hired by Dynamite. Gotcha. It just happens that since we're also the subject matter experts, we're mm-hmm. in this situation where... You know, whatever we write is automatically approved by the licensor because we are the licensor, right? Yeah. So it's like, I approve my own message. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a sweet deal for everyone involved. Sure. Um, and it's allowed us to make the comics. Uh, I think, in some ways, um, it's easier for us to be good than a lot of licensed comics because we can delve into the really, the really crunchy canon, the stuff that the fans right. really want to see, yeah. without having the licensor be like, mm, "That's too." That's too important. You can't touch that. In you this get case, to make that call. yeah, we can make that call. Mm-hmm. And so I think, like with Pathfinder Hollow Mountain that just ended, mm-hmm. uh, that series um, was really an example of that. Right. Uh, I think we're no, no, we're still good. Um, yeah. Well, kind of, you've you've kind of you're, you've kind of all hit on all the points I was going to ask. <laughs> We've run, you're, run you're all over the place. Yeah, we kind of run all over the place. Uh, the the developmental aspects from the ongoing story uh, with the global campaigns. Sure. Um, Which I, should aspect, admit, I don't know a lot about that. That, that is fine. Yeah. You, you did mention. Yeah. The, how important is it? Um, one thing that seems to be good about that from, from Paizo's perspective is that Paizo takes fan input really importantly. Yeah. And treats it really well and... <laughs> Actually, this I can now tie it into a question I wanted to ask. Yeah. You. you guys put your heart and soul into something, and then you put something out, and the reaction may not be what you want to. Sure. Could even be something from a campaign perspective. Could even be from your yeah. writing perspective. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned that you got good feedback in relation to your books. Yeah. How did you start having to handle the not so good feedback? Oh yeah, I'm trying I mean, to butter think, it up a little bit. No, how no, do you no. The, yeah, how do you handle rejection? How do you handle yeah. people? Uh, how do you handle it? Um, with well, ice cream. Yeah, yeah, cream. no, no. Um, I think I mean it's. I think it's really natural to mm-hmm. focus on the negatives. Yeah. Like you know, you you gloss over that. You feel mm-hmm. a momentary spark of joy at the ten glowing reviews, mm-hmm. and then you're just crushed by the one negative review. Um, and mm-hmm. I think in the end, and actually, this is going to get into some of my you know. 
my big writing advice sure. for new writers is this job is about having hubris and humility. You got to have both because you need to have enough hubris, mm-hmm. um, you know, enough arrogance to go out there and say, make it. yeah, to say I can make it, you know, mm-hmm. the odds are against me, but I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And my stories are worth telling mm-hmm. at the same time. You, you can't have just that or you come across as a huge jerk and yes. everybody knows those guys. Um, <laughs> okay. you, need, you need to have the humility mm-hmm. to listen to the feedback and say, do these people mm-hmm. have a good point? Right. Um, is this something I need to change? Is this something I maybe even need to apologize for? Mm-hmm. Um, and how can I grow and get better? Right. Um, and so you're constantly bouncing that because it's not even just public reaction, rejection. As a writer, you're going to get rejected all the time. Industry. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You're, you know, and if you, I always say if you stop getting rejected, you aren't shooting high enough. You know, I always want to uh-huh. be climbing higher and higher. Sure. So, you know, if I if I can publish whatever I want at a small publisher, well, maybe I should go start getting rejected by a big publisher. Right. You know, that sort of mm. thing. Um, so you're always putting yourself out there and you okay. have to just believe in yourself and not not take it overly personally okay. like also remember that a rejection of the work is not a rejection of you mm-hmm. you made a thing but that thing is not you as a person right um, and so that thing may have problems mm-hmm. that thing may not be ready for prime time but you as a person are still valuable you sure. know um, and you, and you'll get better everybody here is learning on the job right even the even the pros um, and I think that was something that was really helpful being in the industry mm-hmm. really took writers off a pedestal for me um, right. you know I being an editor, looking at people's first drafts and, you know, what they mm-hmm. turned in, you know, kind of seeing, seeing the audience in their underwear, right? You know, you realize <laughs> that all yeah. of these people are just people. Yep. They're fallible. They've got problems. They're mm-hmm. working through them. Um, and I think that made it a lot easier for me to say, you know, maybe I can do this too. Okay. And so I guess actually that's it. If there's anything I can say out there to uh, folks out there, it's like, look, Trust me, the writers you love mm-hmm. have problems, and they got to where they are by, you know, failing constantly mm-hmm. until eventually they had something they were happy with. Right. Um, so, please, please listen to this podcast and go. Well, if that guy can write, I can sure do it. <laughs> That's the spirit. Got yeah. tell, got a big sky punch there. Yeah. Cool. Actually, I think we will wrap it up there. James, thank you so much because I know uh, people listening. Gen Con is still crazy. It's like 3 p.m. on the Sunday, and it's still mental. So the fact that you could take time out for this, I really, really do appreciate it. Where can people find out more about your writing, James? Yeah, um, you know, Twitter is a great place to connect mm-hmm. with me. I'm just yeah. at James L. Sutter. Uh, mm-hmm. I also have a website that's just jameslsutter.com. Cool. Uh, and, of course, if you want to know about more about Pathfinder and Starfinder, you can mm-hmm. always go to paizo.com. Oh, nice plug. That yeah. was... That was smooth. that is that is my contractually mandated plug. I have to say that, like it, all the time, even if I'm ordering, you know, food at a restaurant, it's like, oh yeah, I want fries with that. Go to paizo.com and talk to us on the message boards. That's, in, I think you're in the city to do it. In. <laughs> James, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, man. That was release the geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. What the chain of command is. It's a chain I go get and beat you with till you understand who's in rut and command here. To contact the show, you can email us at releasethegeek, one word, at geekxp.co.za. Thanks for listening. I'll be back.